Good morning. 72 hours. 72 hours is about how much time, how much time passed from when Jesus met with His disciples there in the upper room until He met with them after the empty tomb. About 72 hours passed during that time frame. And beginning February 19th, we're going to start walking through that 72 hours together. In preparation for Easter to celebrate the resurrection, we're going to walk from John 13 through John 21 together, really looking at uh, the way Jesus walked, the way His disciples responded, and the way the watching world observed that as well too. So we will uh, look at those final 72 hours with Jesus and His disciples beginning on, on February 19th. We might even throw in a little group Scripture memory as well. Oh, who am I kidding? We're going to throw in a little group Scripture memory as well for, for that. Would you pray with me? Our Father in Heaven, God, what a privilege it is to know that we can come to You, to know that You are wholly other, that You are sovereign over all creation, And to know that through the work of Your Son, Jesus Christ, You have made us Your children. That for all who believe in You, for all who have put their trust in You and in You alone, we have the privilege of, of of calling You Father. May Your kingdom come soon. And may Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we are reminded every day that the world that we are living in is not is not the way that it's supposed to be. God, and we do long for the day when Your kingdom comes soon. When You restore things to the way that they're supposed to be. When You remove all of the sin and brokenness and sickness that exists in our lives. We are restored to a perfect communion with You. God, we long for that day. And as we wait for that day and as we look to You and we ask for Your will to be done, God, we pray that You would give us today our daily bread. That You would remind us today of how desperately we depend on You for absolutely everything. For the air that we breathe. For the blood that flows through our veins. God, everything about us is totally and completely dependent on You. And God, we pray that we would be mindful of that dependence today and we would give thanks for the forgiveness of sins that comes from You. God, and in that forgiveness, we too would be forgiving people and we would extend that same forgiveness to others. God, and please help us. There are so many temptations we still fight while we're in these bodies. While we're in these these bodies that are dying a little every day. We're constantly reminded of the, the struggle to put sin to death. God, we recognize unless we are consciously putting that sin to death through the power of Your Word and Your Spirit, that sin is killing us. God, please protect us. Keep us from temptation. By Your Word, by Your Spirit, by the church family, God, we pray that You would protect us from the evil one. For Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For the past several weeks, we've been talking a lot about prayer. We've we've been talking about Jesus' teaching His disciples about prayer, 
Uh, we talked about how prayer needed to be sincere, direct, and straightforward. You know, looking at the pattern of prayer, then Jesus gave us a, a template of what that model prayer should look like. And even as we prayed, we were reminded that, that who we pray to determines what we pray for. That in, it's so important to acknowledge that is who we pray to and, and how God has revealed himself to us that determines what it is that we ask for, what it is that we pray for. Praying for things like our daily bread, the forgiveness, and to be forgiving, and as well as protection from our temptations. I've also been asking a lot from you in this process as well, too. We ask you to, to write out prayers initially, to, to really have a, a focused time to, uh, to pray every day, asking you to pray at, at 6.10 in the morning, or uh, some of you 6.10 in the evening. Uh, in, that, in that process, we've We've uh, talked about praying Jesus' sample prayer. And even last week, we were encouraging one another to make a list of things to pray for. Just how helpful that is to help guide our prayer time when we know we are, are thinking through a list of things to pray for. And, and, and maybe as you went out this week, you began to notice some things. Maybe that, maybe that prayer list got to be a little uncomfortable. Uh, maybe as you started to make that list and you began to look at it every day, you started to get a little, little overwhelmed at some of just the, the brokenness that exists around us. Uh, maybe the, the, the difficulty we often have with our, our physical bodies or others have with their physical bodies. Maybe you were confronted day after day with the, the physical needs in your family, in yourself, in our church family. Maybe you were confronted with some of the broken that exists in relationships that you have been praying for. Maybe they're, they're parents or children or, or marriages that you're praying for or children that you're praying for. Maybe, maybe you started to find yourself a little just overwhelmed as you began to work through that, that prayer list a little bit. It's a, it's a wonderful reminder for us, but in, in the face of a fallen and broken world, it can it can be a little maybe discouraging or demoralizing for you. It can maybe even make you sad or, or even angry. We were talking this morning in our John journals from John chapter 11. And there's a piece there at, at Lazarus's death where Jesus weeps. Uh, there's a situation there we were trying to understand where he seems to be getting angry, not with necessarily with, with, uh, with Mary or Martha, but but with seeing the results of grief on those around him, there seems to be this, this sense of this uh, just overwhelming fear, not, not fear, but there's a sense of sorrow that he's exhibiting, watching what it's like to be in a world that's fallen and broken and seeing his dearly loved friends experience, experience grief. It really starts to put a little more into context this idea of praying for God's kingdom to come soon. It starts to put it that when we start praying for those things every day and start recognizing those, those needs around us and what it's like to live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, it really starts to put into context for us this, again, this coming kingdom and what it means for us to pray that God's kingdom would come soon. And this coming kingdom is really the context for today's teaching on prayer, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we're going to see a, a teaching that Jesus gives about prayer. And it seems to be in light of the coming kingdom. It seems to be in light of a, of a teaching that Jesus was giving in, in Luke 17 
uh, about the coming kingdom and what they should do until then. What they, should they do in the delay? It, it may also be that, uh, that this teaching on prayer is a kind of a closing illustration to what Jesus was teaching in Luke 17, 22-37, a, a call to stay faithful while they were waiting for His return. A call to continue on and press on while they're waiting for Him to return. As much as so far we've had about an invitation to practice prayer last week, looking at, at Luke 11, as we look at Luke 18, it seems like there's a, there's a call to pleading in prayer. And it's, it's in response to this delay, in this response to the delay of Christ's coming, what should we do until the kingdom is restored, until the kingdom is brought new? There's a, a sense of pleading here for His kingdom to come soon. So if you would, let's read together uh, Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. It says, one day Jesus told His disciples a story. Many of your translations say parable there. It's a, a teaching illustration of Jesus to show that they should always pray and never give up. Boy, we're grateful when the text explains the parable to us right up front. Uh, and this is one of those instances where it tells us right up front that this is why He is telling this parable, this story, to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He says, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Those of you with small children know exactly what that is referring to there. I'm being worn out with her constant request. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day at night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. And when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So as he wrapped up chapter 17 and talking about the coming kingdom and what it means to anticipate and to be ready, he then includes this picture of prayer and he seems to be calling them to continue in prayer until Christ returns. And that's something that I wanted us to remember even as we think about this teaching about prayer is that when it comes to prayer, we should continue to pray for the Lord to come until He does. That we would continue to pray for God's will to be done and for Him to come until He actually returns. That's really what this proverb is doing. This story is teaching us. There's this call to continue to plead in prayer. To continue to call for persistence in prayer. To keep on praying until Christ returns. Even the, the conclusion there of how many will He find on earth who have faith. How many are still pleading and persisting in prayer. But it's kind of an unusual way to get there, isn't it? I mean, there's kind of an interesting contrast. We have a, we have a contrast here of, a, of an unjust judge. Not exactly the, the kind of judge we're typically looking for. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, the qualifications of this judge aren't great. Judge aren't great. He doesn't care about people, and he uh, he just is 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 un um, he is un he is unmoved by anyone or anything other than himself. He he has not uh, he has not desire to to be influenced by anyone or anything other than himself. And and their contrast with this judge is is a widow. And we know we know for first century Judaism that a widow was the least of the least, that she had the least amount of influence, the least amount of resource. She was one of the most vulnerable people of all of society. There were there were no safety nets. There were no opportunities for her to be cared for and provided for once she no longer had a husband and no longer had children. So here you've got this contrast of this judge who cares nothing for anyone other than himself and what he would like to do. And, and then you have this, this, this poor widow who has absolutely no influence whatsoever. Jesus uses that to set the stage for another one of these parables or stories of, of comparison to show us how differently the one true and only God responds to such situations. It is interesting, though, to think about in the picture of even the unjust judge, how is it that we could make a comparison to, to God in that? How, you know, we certainly wouldn't say that those characteristics were, were true of God, that he, you know, he doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people. But I think what Jesus is trying to show in the comparison here is is that God is uninfluenced by outside forces. He is wholly other. Uh, there's a, there's a, a theological term, aseity. Now, you don't necessarily have to know the term aseity to really know the idea of what it's communicating, but it's communicating that God exists of and from himself. He is self-existent and independent from all creation. That God does not depend on anyone or anything else for his existence. And perhaps that's the comparison here that, that Jesus has demonstrated between the unjust judge and the perfect holiness of God. But he does want us to see that God is the better judge. He does want us to see in this comparison, in this picture of, of God being the unjust of, of God, that he truly is the just and loving father. That in comparison to the judge who cares, doesn't fear God and cares nothing about people, this picture of God that we see revealed beginning in verse 7 says, don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? He wants us to see how much better, how much more this God is that provides for his children, that provides for his redeemed people. So as we start to unpack how is it that we are called to, to pray uh, for God's kingdom to come until it does, he does point to who God is in comparison to the judge. Who God is in the just and loving Father. He also shows the difference between the judge who finally gives in to the pleading of the widow and how much greater God is to the one who, who listens to his dearly loved children. The, the, the text talks about his covenant people or his, his chosen people, those who are in relationship with him. 
And then this picture of Him bringing His justice soon. I think it would be a mistake to walk away from this passage and think that this is all about how to wear down God to get what you want. I mean, that, that, that seems to be maybe just at a first glance. Obviously, if I just pester God enough, He's going to give me what I want. But that's not at all what's being pictured here. What's being pictured here is the greatness of God as the superior judge to a people that He has a superior relationship with to the promise of His coming justice soon. It's a picture of the, the greatness of God and the new relationship He has with His people to bring about His justice. I was thinking about this in the context, if you've ever been in the store and you've uh, seen uh, young children asking their parents for a request. Uh, they're, they're constantly asking, whether it's those beautiful things that are always by the cashier, right? Those, those things you just can't live without that are in that impulse rack on the way in. Things you never thought anybody ever needed, but your children or those children, as they're going through the checkout line with you, know that's exactly what they have to have. And they ask for it. And, and you see parents, and maybe you if, as, as a parent struggle with that as well too, uh, maybe you didn't have any problem telling your kids no whatsoever, but the pleading that continued from them as you worked through that line, I thought, how, how differently, how differently the person responds to that request who has a relationship with that child as to one who does not. How differently they might respond to the request and the pleading if, if they knew the child, if they loved the child they're probably much more likely to give in to that. And again, the, the picture of the unjust judge shows us that here's somebody who cared nothing about anything else other than getting relief from the persistent pleading of this widow. If this judge was able to render a decision at the end in verse 7, how much greater, how much more is the greatness of God? How much more is the God who loves us and brings us into a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ? How much more is it when God hears the cries of His chosen people, His dearly loved children, those whom He sent Christ to die for, to bring them into a right relation? How much more will He listen to the cries and the pleading and the prayers of those of those children, of those people. And it's interesting when we think about the justice that gets referenced here at the end, the, the justice to come quickly or to come soon. It's probably the same thing with those children as well too, what the perspective of, of what soon looks like. Um, if, you've, if you've been around children or even for yourself, when, when someone says something will happen soon, uh, soon to you and soon to a parent are very different things. Uh, soon to you and soon to the person that's going to make this. And certainly they understand that they will be very soon. You'll be very soon going on that trip. You'll be very soon going to grandma's house. You'll be very soon able to have dessert. But when you're waiting, soon seems to last forever. Soon often feels like it's never going to come. And in this teaching about prayer, Jesus is is helping His disciples live in the soon. He's helping them figure out how to pray in, in the soon. 
Because he just told them at the end of 17 about how the kingdom's going to come and how important it is to be ready and, and how they need to be found faithful and they want to continue in prayer. He's, he's telling them how to, how to continue to pray in the soon. And as I thought so much about our prayer list and, and the things that you and I bring to the Lord in prayer and, and, and honestly sometimes how, how difficult those can be. I mean, maybe you've had a person on your prayer list that you have been praying for them to come to know the Lord for not weeks, not months, maybe years. Maybe for years you have been praying that God would open up their heart and they would respond to the message of Christ. Maybe there are are relationships that are so broken, you have been praying for them for years. And you say, how, how long, Lord? And you, you, you ask yourself the soon question, how, how soon will you reconcile that marriage? How soon will you reconcile that relationship? Especially in the face of so much injustice. Right? We live in a world that, that feeds on injustice. And we ask ourselves the question, how much longer? How soon will that wrong be made right? How soon will it be that God restores the things to the way there's... Even, even when we see somebody who seems like they were unfairly fired from their job. Or maybe it seems like somebody's struggling with a medical condition that just makes no sense to us whatsoever. God, how soon? How soon are you going to fix that? How soon are you going to take care of that? And, and this passage reminds us that even if somebody like this judge would grant justice to this person of absolutely no regard, I mean, think about that. Here's a person who cared and was influenced by no one, responding to the, to the request and pleading of someone with no reputation whatsoever, no value, I, I use that term, Loosely, right? In the cultural eye, she had no value whatsoever. If that judge responds to that request, how much more? How much greater will the just and loving Father hear the pleading prayers of His dearly loved children and bring His justice soon? How much greater will this God hear the prayers and respond to His children? You know, it's got me thinking this past week even about this idea of of pleading in prayer until Christ come. And it, it got me thinking about the idea of will we pray in heaven? I don't know if you've ever considered that. That's, that's how I spent my time this week wondering, will we, will we pray in heaven? We know we will praise in heaven. We know we will worship in heaven. We'll know we'll have perfect unity in heaven with God. But will we will we pray the same pray, pray the same way? And it was interesting. I, I stumbled on the last stanza of a, of a hymn that deals with prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. And maybe you're not familiar with the last stanza, but it says, "Soon in glory bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer." Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion 
there. Now that's not scripture by any means, but it's an interesting reminder to us that the, the pleading in the sense of brokenness, the, the things that often fill our prayer list, the sadness, the sickness, all those things will not be a part of our regular worship in heaven. They just won't be. There will be no need for them there. All those things will be done. All of the injustice that we experience and those around us in a fallen and broken world experience will be done and gone. Our prayers will be prayers of praise. Our prayers will be praising God for who He is. Our prayers will no longer be the list of of difficult physical issues, of concerned about whether or not somebody's going to have enough food to eat, whether or not they're going to be able to get the medical attention that they need, whether or not they've experienced a sense of injustice because of, because of where they live, or the color of their skin. All those things will no longer be there. We will worship in endless worship, rapture, and praise. So until then, you and I as followers of Christ are called to persist and plead in prayer until He comes. And we have the promise of a parable like this to remind us that we don't plead and persist in vain. We do not plead and persist in vain because we pray to the one who is coming to restore His kingdom. We pray to the One who is the good and perfect Judge, who is the loving Father, who has a relationship with His chosen people. They're not people of no reputation because He has given them a reputation through Christ. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we are now His children. We are now a part of His family when we put our faith and trust in Him. And as much as we can know that the unjust judge will give to the, to the widow of no reputation, we can know that God's justice will come soon. In His perfect timing. Not always in the timing that we would like. Not, only, not always as quickly as we would like. But in the perspective of God, and now He is at work in His creation, this justice will come to them quickly. And His call here for us is to be found faithful. This call at the end, when the Son of Man returns, how many will He find on earth who have faith? Is the call for you and I to consistently, persistently, Plead in prayer because we know that His kingdom will come soon. Because we know He is the God who is our Father in heaven. We know He is the God who holds all things together and will bring His kingdom soon. This should be an encouraging thing for us. It shouldn't be something that demoralizes. It shouldn't be something that we look at and go, well, it's going to be forever. No. In God's perfect timing, He is coming soon. And He has called us to pray persistently in this. 
And like I said, over the last five weeks, we've, we've talked a lot about prayer, from sample prayers to examples of prayer to now teaching and parables of prayer. And, and the one thing I want us to, to wrestle with, even individually as churches, what's going to be different now? What's, what's going to be different now as we think about prayer both individually and as a church family? What, what's, what's, surely we don't want to end these six weeks on prayer and go, well, that was all right. That was good. What, what will be different now as a result of that prayer? Maybe it is that you've developed more of a consistent personal prayer life. Maybe it, maybe it is that you're, you're praying through the, the, the sample prayer of Jesus more often and thinking more about what some of those, those phrases mean for His kingdom to come soon and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe, maybe you're thinking more about that. Maybe you're being more consistent with a, a prayer list that's guiding and instructing your, 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 your daily times of prayer. I know I don't come to a gathered worship time without thinking about prayer and how critical prayer is in the life of our church family. And even as we pray together and we're, we're directed by the scriptures that we read together that, that bring us into a focus of dependence. I love Psalm 34. Psalm 34 that we, that we led in worship with today is an incredible personal prayer of David there about how he called on the Lord. He pleaded with him. He, he goes to him in an act of dependence. All of that is a continual reminder for us about prayer. So what will be different? What will be different as we move forward into this year as a church family? Next week we're going we're gonna to look at this last parable right after this in, in, in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector. But, but until then, let me give you one more challenge for this week. One more, one more shot at homework for this week. This week, when someone asks you to pray, something to add to that list of things that you're praying for, I would ask that you would pray then. I know it might seem a little odd at first, but I would encourage you to pray right then and there. If they share something with you that's a prayer request for them, ask them, is it okay if we, if we pray for that now? And maybe you'll be in a restaurant or outside somewhere or maybe even standing in the grocery store. But say, is it okay if we just pray for that now? And pray for that now. Don't wait until you get home. Don't wait until 6.10 in the morning or in the evening when you're looking at that prayer list. Just pray with them now. If it's something that is so on their heart and their mind that they're asking you to pray, don't wait. Just ask, is it okay if we pray now? And if it is, now again, if you're in the car and uh, traffic's starting to back up and it might be a little challenging, then you can postpone for a few minutes. But in reality, if someone's asked you to pray about something, I would encourage you this week, pray then. Pray now. Don't wait. Make the most of that opportunity and pray with them then for God's will to be done for His kingdom to come soon. You know, I realized as I looked at my prayer list, about 90% of it is going to be over and done with when Christ returns. About 90% of the things that I pray for won't even be relevant after Christ returns. When His kingdom comes soon, 
going to wipe out a majority of those broken, sinful, difficult things that you and I pray for every single day. But until then, He's called us to pray, to plead, to persist in prayer, to know that He is the loving Father. He's not just some distant judge who doesn't care. He is the loving Father. We are not just some widows. We are His chosen people through Christ. We are His children in Christ. And the promise of His Word points to His return and His coming soon. Let that be the encouragement to your prayers. Let that be the encouragement to your prayer list. If you start to pray and you keep thinking, I don't know when this person is ever going to open and receive Christ. I don't know when this marriage is ever going to get back on track. I, I don't know when this adult child is ever going to, to reconcile with their parents. I don't know when. But I have, I have the call of this passage to tell me that because of who God is, and because of His love for me, and because of His purpose in the world, He has called me to continue to persist in prayer. Will His kingdom come soon? As we pray, it's just a, it's a wonderful reminder of this coming kingdom, even as we think about sharing in communion this morning. Uh, communion, as we have said, is this wonderful, visible, and tangible reminder of the Gospel. It's the reminder of the good news of what, what Jesus has done and is doing and, and will do. As a matter of fact, when we sometimes think about communion, it's, it's both a look back, for those of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ, it's a look back to the reminder of how He transformed your life through the Gospel. It's also an opportunity for us to look around. It gives us a chance to look around at one another as part of God's family and see one another as brothers and sisters of Christ. To see what we share in common. We just don't, we don't take communion home alone in our kitchen. We do it together. It's an opportunity for us to look around and be reminded of what we have in Christ together. But as much as it's a look back and a look around, it is also a look forward. We said the the command that Jesus gives and that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians 11 is that we would continue to do this until He comes. Till His kingdom comes. His kingdom is coming soon. So if you would, would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to, to share communion together? It's interesting, one of the, that, that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 often talks about taking it in an unworthy manner. And I know that can sometimes trip us up as believers because we think, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to take communion. Well, it's not about our worthiness. It's about our focus. Because in reality, none of us apart from Christ is worthy to share in this visible reminder of the Lord's Supper. But it's the reminder for us that when we come to this table, when we look back, when we look around, and look, when we look forward, are we looking to Christ? Are we looking to what Christ has done? The, the caution there at the church in Corinth was they weren't. They weren't even thinking about Christ, let alone looking to Christ. That was the unworthy manner he was talking about. But for you and I, this is a time again to, to look back. That's why it's so important that 
that we share this as as believers. And if someone's not yet a believer, we just ask them to to, to just just let it go by, because this is a reminder. This is a looking back for those who've put their faith. It's a it's a it's a looking around at at being being encouraged by the body of Christ that shares in this shares in this picture of the gospel. And again, a look forward until He comes. So would you pray with me? God, thank You. Thank You for giving us Your Word. Thank You for giving us the example of an unjust judge and a widow to show us how much greater, how much more, how much better the life that You have for us in Christ is. Thank You through Christ for making us Your your chosen people. Thank You for being the the just judge and, and loving Father of Your children. Thank You for not forgetting about justice, but knowing it is coming in Your time. And as much as it seems like a long time for us, God, we know that it will be soon to You. It will be right on time right when you've planned it, right when you've prepared it, and right when you have prepared the watching world to receive it. God, help us to be people of prayer. Help us to continue to pray for your kingdom to come until it does. Help us to pray daily for our physical and, and, and spiritual needs. Help us to Help us to look to You for constant forgiveness and protection from temptation. But God, I pray that we would be found faithful. We would be found persisting in prayer when You come. And Lord, we are grateful that You are coming soon. In Your heavenly name, Amen. As we continue to worship, I'm going to, in just a moment, invite you to, to come and, and take both uh, a bread and a cup and return.